There we go. Oh, my Friday. Got it. John Curley, Sherry Elliker Show, starring Sherry Elliker and Sonny Bono. Jacob? I thought it was Bono. Wait, I'm Bono. Bono. Yeah, thank you. Bono. <laughs> I, who always gets every last name wrong. <laughs> I think that might have been why I assumed... I, I assumed you were messing with me and get, trying to goad me into correcting you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's not the way I play. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh sure. Johnny, <laughs> okay. Johnny, don't, Johnny don't play that. Uh-huh. All right. I read this piece in the um, Wall Street Journal. I always like Peggy Noonan on Friday. I highly recommend uh, you get a chance to enjoy some of her work. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, that's great. I'm going to send that to Jacob. And then what do you know? Uh, Miss Sherry had gotten up three hours ahead of me, read the same article, and boop, sent it off to Jacob. Um, Americans long for authenticity. Reflections on Nikki Haley's announcement. Super, um, oopsie, uh, super duper big game ads. When are we allowed to say it? You can say it in context as long as you don't read it as part of a spot when you're selling something. So it's it's oh, important okay. to not say it during advertisement. We can say it as part of when we're talking about the game. Yeah, I got it. Reflections on Nikki Haley's announcement and Super Bowl ads and Will Smith's humiliation. She basically points out that um, let's let's be real. That's kind of the take of the whole thing. That's what authenticity is. I like how she starts out with her critique of Nikki Haley. And you kind of mentioned this as well, Sherry, just when Nikki Haley talks about, I'm going to wear high heels, and when you wear high heels, look out, you can kick them where they hurts or some stupid thing like that. She also takes a shot at just the whole way you present your, you know, announcement that you're going to run for president of the United States. Right. She says that Nikki Haley's um, presentation or her announcement was tired, cliched, and phony. She said... Anytime you say somebody something like you're tough as nails, it's almost embarrassing that mm-hmm. we don't need to hear that. And that there she was, you know, walking down the thing, pointing at people like a politician. And there was some sort of Rocky theme or something in the background. It was so familiar. Right. It was such a formula that we've seen so many times over and over and over again that we've got to be tired of it. And that I I think in some way she's also saying that we're, we're a little jaded, right? We we we're, we're kind of done with that sort of thing. Um, and she takes aim at the Super Bowl ads too. She says that if you look at the Super Bowl ads, they were jittery and rather cruel and cynical, and it looks as it, it appears as though they are peddling to a nation of idiots. Hmm. Yeah. Well. You always want to sell to the lowest common denominator, right? Mm-hmm. So you just it's and, and there's no such thing as original idea. I think Plato or Aristotle said that. And so you hire these different companies to come in there and they're it's formula and cookie cutter because it's what works and what's been done over and over again. And when the guy comes in with a different idea of some way to do well, we don't do it that way. We're going to have you come out to, you know, eye of the tiger and you're going to point, you're going to wave. And then you're, here's your speech and these things you're going to say. And people are going to go, OK, it's over and over and over again. And then I thought the most compelling part of her article was how she wanted Will Smith to go on before the Academy Awards and to make this speech. It's a little long, 
but he just started to cut through the beginning, the very beginning. I volunteered to be here tonight. I didn't ask. I formally apologized to Chris Rock. I did nothing to deserve my attention to all of you. As a public figure, I deserve exactly the wrong message. And then she goes on to say, and then I'm sorry. I paid a high price. This is what she would like uh, Will Smith to say. I paid a high price uh, in the past year in opportunities and relationships. I can't say this is unjust. I will never speak of it again. Chris is free to. Uh, I have said my piece. I'm going to continue to work on myself. I ask you, as I close, please do not applaud if you are going to. After all the furor, let's end it quietly with thought. Thank you. And then it says, cut straight to a commercial, a peaceful, calm one with a little heart, and then come back and continue the show. It's perfect. It will never happen in a million years, but it is absolutely perfect. That's what should have happened a year ago, and it never did happen. And Mm -hmm. I think what she's trying to say is, in terms of authenticity, you know, that's a genuine apology. That's saying, I'm really, really sorry. I have, I have paid the price for it, but I deserved it. And Mm -hmm. she said that when the Academy, I guess, got together and they were talking, they admitted that they didn't handle that properly, that they didn't do enough. Um, and that they don't need an image rehab. It, they need to be honest and he needs to be honest. And Mm -hmm. it's all of this, window dressing like with Nikki Haley you know her coming out and doing her little thing and making her speech and reminding everybody that she's a tough woman and she's got on high heels and they'll kick her harder than regular you know it's just it's so predictable right well I I think that again when we talked in the very beginning of the show then if you would like to be able to get some response from somebody, you always want to be able to <clears throat> be stimulating, as my therapist, John Mace, may he rest in peace, used to say, that's your monkey brain. That's the reptilian, or not even the reptilian, but the monkey brain responding to a stimuli that releases cortisol and makes you feel a whole bunch of things. And you press those buttons, and Facebook has figured it out, and YouTube, and all the algorithms and everything they send you, send you to agitate you. Nothing to make you peaceful. And all advertisement is all done by fear. You're going to lose this, lose this, lose, 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 get this, get this. Here's the problem that you have. Here's the solution. And if you don't, fear is the greatest button. You always want to push the fear button because just as we're built these mammals to survive, we have only two instincts. One is to procreate and one is to survive. So you press the fear button. You press the fight button. How many times is a politician, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight, fight, fight. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's primal, right? That is a primal response. I'm, somebody needs to fight for me. That there's forces out there to come get you or inside to come get you or something's under the bed to come get you. And I'm going to fight and find it. So this fear, always pushing fear, fear of this and fear of not having this, fear of not having the latest gadget and gadget and car and whatever else it is. It's going to bring you comfort. And that's only temporary because then you know, it fades after you get the initial response to the new purchase or whatever it is, the new thing. And then you go back to, you know, the monkey brain wanting to be stimulated by something. And then they're going to sell you again on fear. Um, it's much easier with that. And, you know, she's saying, why don't we, I think these are not her words, but my takeaway from the piece was let's, let's try to connect at a higher level. And why not stimulate a different part of the brain? Um, 
and and it'll be harder to do. It's not as easy, but we owe it to ourselves to be to try to strive to be better as opposed to always being the bottom common denominator of whatever the emotion is that you're trying to get from somebody. I think that's right. I, I think she also challenges, I think, for all of these institutions, the the advertising world, the, the Hollywood, politicians, to do it differently, to do it with authenticity, to do it with honesty. And I'm not really sure we're ready for that. I think that we, we, and, and I'm, I don't even really know what that would look like. Like, what would it look like to have a politician come out there and be honest and say, Hey, look, I'm going to try to do what I can, but let's, let's be honest. You know, I'm only one person. I can't change the world. Uh, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. This is, you know, I mean, to lay it out there like it really is not to give this raw, raw speech about I'm going to, you know, fix all these things that are wrong with the world and change all these things. We know that's not going to happen. That's impossible for one right. person to do that. So if they were honest and they said, here are my limitations, but this is what I am going to do. Would you set, would you buy that person or would you buy the person that, that, that was the cheerleader that promised you the world? Um, well, it's very hard, right? Because the other person's going to come in and say, well, my opponent is not, is not willing to fight for you. It's not, it doesn't have the courage, doesn't do it. I can, I will. Think about the Lincoln Douglas debates. They went all around the United States, or at least part of the United States, and Lincoln would speak without a microphone for an hour. Douglas would then speak for an hour. Oh no, two hours and then two hours. And then I think Lincoln had a one hour response and then they would pack it up and go to another town. That was a debate, sometimes lasting as many as seven hours. Now we have a presidential debate. You ask some incredibly difficult question and then you say, you know, Mr. Trump, you have two minutes to respond and then Mr. Biden, you have one minute for rebuttal. <laughs> it's like, Two, two minutes, one minute, because the attention span. Is our attention span really that narrow, and is it getting so small that we would be able to compete against a fruit fly for the ability to have the attention that we would need to have? Um, I thought one of the most interesting debates I ever saw was a vice presidential debate, and he was the third-party candidate in there with Anderson, and he was the – remember he got up there? Gosh, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, he was in the military. I think he was – I don't remember exactly his – and he said, yes. who am I? What, what am I doing here? Remember that? Um, yes. Come on. What was his name? Jacob, quickly, check that out. And, uh, and, he, and he was um, he was criticized because – he wasn't television ready. He wasn't, he, he was just this reg, but not, he wasn't even a regular guy. He was a very well decorated man, but he didn't really, he wasn't a phony. James Stockdale? Yes. Yes. Thank you. By the way, you're going to be co hosting with him on Monday. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I liked him. Who am I and what am I doing here? Yeah. yeah. People aren't ready for that because it's going to seem to be just way too much for people. Here, This is a guy, it, people are now saying this is the guy that could be president of the United States. He was a uh, big muckety-muck in a pharmaceutical business, uh, made a whole bunch of money. He then decided to quit his job. Um, oh, my God, look at his name. Vi- Vivek Ramaswamy? 
Ramaswamy? Something I close. Think that's what it's. It, yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy. Got it. He'll be also co-hosting with you on Tuesday. But I stepped down as CEO of that company to focus on a different kind of cancer. By the way, people are saying this guy has everything it takes to be president of the United States. Not a biological cancer, but a cultural cancer that threatened to kill that dream that Martin Luther King had 60 years ago. That threatened to kill the dream that allowed me to achieve everything I ever have in my life. And that is a new secular religion in this country whose belief system centers on the idea that your identity is based on your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation, full stop. That if you're black, you're inherently disadvantaged. That if you're white, you're inherently privileged. No matter your economic background or upbringing, your race and your gender govern who you are and what you can achieve in your life. Now, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of the squad, she actually summarized this philosophy pretty well when she said, we don't want any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. I guess I don't fit her description of what counts as a brown voice. But I will tell you this. There's a really clever move in there. That when your race goes from being about your skin color to being about the content of the ideas you're allowed to have, then any disagreement with those ideas automatically means that you are a racist. And there is no greater damnation in modern America than to be called a racist. So when given the choice between pledging allegiance to this new religion and being tarred with the scarlet R, Everyday Americans are choosing to bend the knee. And that has created a new culture of fear in our country. Fear of losing your jobs. Fear of your kids getting a bad grade in school. Fear of becoming a pariah in your own community. He's known as his uh, sort of nickname is the anti-woke CEO. He was asked by Steve. Recently, Lucy. though, people are saying, you know, Vivek. You should run for president, and I know you're chewing on it right now. When might you have any sort of an announcement? So I'm seriously considering it. I've been very transparent about that. In fact, I expect to make a decision in in the relative near term. But to me, this isn't a question about the who. Sometimes I think the conservative movement, the Republican Party, even we, obsess too much over the question of the who without enough asking the question of the what and the why. What do we stand for? And I just see an opportunity right now in America to answer the question of actually what it means to be an American today. You ask most people my age that question, you get a blank stare in response. And to me, I think we have a chance to revive the ideals that this nation was founded on and to use that to dilute the woke agenda to irrelevance. That's what I've been talking about through my books and other work over the last few years. But I'm really looking at how I can take that to the next level and hopefully spawn a revival of national identity in this country that we're missing. Wow. I don't know if he'd be self-funded, but he said he was inspired to see that Donald Trump could, as a business person, run for president. So the guy's got a ton of money, lots of rich friends. His parents immigrated here from India. Uh, he went to Yale Law School and Harvard. He's got the brains and um, the passion. It would be interesting to see somebody come out of absolutely nowhere like that and, you know, strike that chord um, and, and get the attention. 
you know, and stand on the stage with anybody else and be out there. So he's impressive, really impressive. Vivek, Vivek, want to co-host with him on Monday? Or uh, yeah, can we just call him Vivek? You want to you want to bump Stockdale? If he's still alive, I'd really like the time with him. All right, fine, got it. Get him on the phone, okay. Jacob. Get, 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 <laughs> figure out how to say his name, and then let's let's get him on. All right, great. How's that list of people I'm telling you to get on? How's that coming? It's uh, only getting longer, I think. Where are we on Jesus Christ? Yeah, <laughs> I've sent up a lot of prayers. <laughs> Good. Okay, that's all you got need. It. It's a Friday. That's right. Oh, yes. At 530, we're going to be doing the know-it-all quiz. We actually five questions of stories we have covered, I mean, just up and down the news. We're covering those five stories for you all week long. All you got to do is uh, text us. Uh, text, come on to the Steve Ravian text line, one 888 Oh, sure, it's getting worse. 5476. Oh, okay. Uh, you're going to win yourself a box of Bite Me Cookies. They are the cookies that the teeny tiny lady loves because all the cookies come in the box. Teeny tiny gets a chance to look at each one of them before we wrap the box back up and ship it to your house. Oh, all the cookies, the cookies, right, teeny? All the cookies come to you. That's right. And by the way, I'm having breakfast tomorrow morning with my friend that owns Bite Me Cookies and my friend, Dr. Natalie Ellington. I'm going to try to get these two ladies together because I really think that they could try. I want to get a, I'm trying to get, I want to be able to get Deborah. To give a percentage of bite me cookies to support Dr. Natalie Ellington's uh, nonprofit, and if this comes together, Sherry, this would be great. Great. Anyway, um, give Jacob one interesting fact about yourself to play the normal quiz at five thirty. All right. Well, uh, the, this doesn't shock me that the fact that study shows the shrinking number of people that believe the news it believes news misinforms misinforms. Mm-hmm. Hmm doesn't inform, but it gives you misinformation? Well, this was a poll that was taken by Gallup and the Knight Foundation, and uh, they asked them a couple of questions. For instance, national news organizations do not intend to mislead, do not intend to mislead. Do you agree or disagree? 50% disagree with that statement, um, mm-hmm. that they do intend to mislead you. Uh, do they act in the public interest? Only 25% thought that they did. The, the only thing that people seem to have trust in lately is local news. They believe oh. there isn't, uh, I guess, as much manipulation in local news. Um, uh-huh. And how do people get their news? 58% online, 31% from TV, 7% from radio and but it's a strong seven percent it's a strong seven percent yes uh yeah. and we our good room friends, for growth good yes. friends the gen zers uh 88 percent uh get it online so this is what sarah fiorini she's a consultant for gallup said uh it was pretty striking for us that the findings showed a depth of distrust and bad feeling that go beyond the foundations and processes of journalism oi oi Oh, I wonder they they've been doing this poll for a while, haven't they? I think they have. Uh, I, yeah, probably. I don't I don't yeah. know that they n- mentioned that, but yeah. 
I think they have been doing it for a while and checking. I found this. This is from a Newsweek editor explaining why um, there is distrust or how the news media has changed over the last couple of years. And she points back to 2011. Here we go. Used to be journalism. We judged whether journalism was good or bad. We evaluated it based on how many people, how big the reach was. That shifted with the Internet. Online, the way you judge success in journalism is through engagement. How many impressions an article creates, how many comments on Facebook, how many shares on Twitter. And we know, obviously, everyone here knows that the most engaged readers are the most extreme. And that emotion drives engagement. So in 2018, the New York Times created a a new way of tracking the emotions of their readers. It's called Project Feels. Um, they had their data science team started asking young affluent readers, you know, people, millennials who make over a hundred, one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year, to rate how certain articles made them feel and how much they made them feel. And what they found was, not surprisingly, the more emotional, the more the reader was feeling, the longer they stayed on the page, and the more likely they were to click on an ad. So that was step one. Step two, they created a machine learning algorithm that could predict how an article was going to make a reader feel. And they now sell that to advertisers. So when Armani comes to the New York Times and says, I would like to buy an ad, the New York Times can say, no problem. How would you like the reader to be feeling when they encounter your ad and how much? Oh, my God. Mm. Holy moly. Oh, but there's no reason to trust any That's of this why news. President Trump's name appeared 97,000 times in the New York Times in 2017, right? Because he makes affluent white liberals who are the target audience of the New York Times. By the way, that's one out of every 250 words in 2017. Mm-hmm. She compared it to Barack Obama, which was 36,000. His second year is 36,000 times his name appeared. Feel things very, very deeply, which makes them buy things, which makes them very valuable to the New York Times, right? What happened with digital media was you used to have all of these liberal outlets, which were each catering to a different audience, each catering to a different readership. And essentially what you have now is the Atlantic and Vox and the New York Times and the Washington Post and NPR are all going for the same six, seven, eight million highly affluent, highly educated progressives who live in coastal cities who are going to spend in a way that will impress advertisers, who are going to pay for that subscription to the New York Times because it makes them feel like part of an elite club. All of these outlets are now catering to the same elite readership, and it is that that has driven the way that they cover race more than anything else. It's about class. It's not about race. And that's why you see things like defund the police, defund the police, defund the police, instead of people going into working class neighborhoods and asking people, what do you need to not get beat up and insulted by the police? What would you like to see? How can we help you fulfill the dreams for your children? Yeah, I mean, is that a pretty good job of explaining that maybe why people don't trust the news? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. People, uh, I'm sure, are not hip to what she just talked about and and how diabolical it really is and what they're really going after. I, I think it's more that people are just burnt out on the news and they realize that it's all advocacy. We've talked about this before, that people are uh, – they have an angle – they have a position, 
and it doesn't have any sense of neutrality or journalism as we used to know. So I think that's probably more of the basis of the distrust. Is that well, let me ask you this. Is it diabolical that McDonald's has chemically figured out that if a French fry has these six components, it has a stimula- stimulating effect to the tongue and the brain that make you want to eat it again. It's got a high sugar thing, the way the fat sits on the tongue. They figured out, and the same thing with the hamburger as well, they figured out chemically all the stuff that they need to do in order to make you love McDonald's french fries, right? So in the same way, they have said, we have chemically figured out in the brain what happens if we give you this type of news to stimulate this type of reaction to get you agitated so we can sell you, uh, you know, a, I don't know, a Rolex watch. I mean, is that diabolical? In a way, sure. I mean, but do you think that the, the reporters are aware of this and that they're schooled on this and they're saying use these phrases use these terms as much as possible because we're trying to generate dollars i mean are they in on it i don't think they're in on it i think what you do is they're basically foot soldiers so they're getting indoctrinated into the idea that america is a horrible racist awful country you hire those people and then they just naturally print out and pump out this crap and then you sell watches to rich people that live in new york city and in you know old town alexandria you know and more specifically right near your house and then uh you know we're on the west coast as well so i think it's diabolical you, you listen you got to make money you have to be able to make money. You're not going to bite the hand that feeds you. That's why when Pfizer spent more than $100 million just last year on TV ads, you're not going to see ABC, NBC talk about the fact that there's adverse effects to to Pfizer's vaccine. Because you'd be told, hey, 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 they're, they're buying your clothes. They pay for your shoes. They pay for your makeup. They pay for your hair. Don't say anything. I mean, it's all part of this general thing of who's running the media and how much money they make all of it. You know, but then here we are. The, the only nice thing about what we have here at Cairo is that gigantic, beautiful, new Beacon Plumbing traffic desk. Look at that thing, Sherry, with all the pipes and things, and it's got a plunger. I, I just and love they, the neon. I think that adds so much, don't you? It's classy, because sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, it's very classy. It's no, very but this, they did a good job on that. They, 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 I like they it. They did it just enough. Yes, yeah, because you, you really got to watch. Gotta, when one of the letters goes out, look out. It's open season on balloons, so be careful, everybody. I thought to myself, I'll bet people are buying balloons and putting balloons up just to see if they can get an F-22 to scramble and shoot down one of these balloons. And I found it, Sherry. I found it. Finally, I found it. It was on TikTok. Did you see it, Jacob? I sent it over to you. might not have gotten to you in time. Um, but um, because some people are saying, well, the last three that got shot down, they could have been like hobbyist. Um mm-hmm. Or somebody that had a big balloon and sent it up, uh, not intentionally trying to get the shot down. But um, I was looking at TikTok. These two TikTok kids decided they would uh, send up a balloon um, <laughs> over the Chinese embassy in London. And they got the balloon and they hooked something to the bottom of it and they took it up there and sent it up there. And they just want to get I guess they don't figure if, they don't care if they go to jail for a couple of days. They get tons and tons and tons of hits. Um if I was just a, if I had a little bit more free time, I would, I'd send one up. See, I think, I think it's, that's really irresponsible because it, to oh, me, it's oh, like, oh, 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 no, on. it is. 
It, it's right. it's like uh, pointing a laser at a at a at a jet or something, you know. You just right now that everybody's so on edge with this whole balloon thing, and uh, this hobbyist has admitted that that may have been his balloon. Now, again, he did not mean to do this. He said, when I heard it was a silver object with the payload attached, I thought, could be one of ours. He's with the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. And I guess they send up these balloons every once in a while. It's no different than what a kid might get at a birthday party, about 10 to 15 bucks. The missile, though, to shoot it down? Mm -hmm. 400,000. So... He's not mad about the fact that they may have destroyed his balloon. Uh, he says it was, you know, a matter of the public interest. But clearly the government is saying we can't seem to retrieve this balloon. They are never going to find it for fear it is part of the Illinois bottle cap balloon brigade and that they messed okay. up that badly. So if you think we're ever going to know what it is, I, I doubt it. I sincerely doubt if they're ever going to figure out what that thing was. Well, do you see? So these guys that sent the things up, I think other people will follow along with this. I get it. It is irresponsible because you are scaring people. They are going to probably send a jet up there. But if you can get that kind of reaction, you think, well, nobody gets hurt. You know, it's the old thing in high school or grade school. Kids who pull the fire alarm because they didn't want to take a test that day or something. It causes a distraction They get some attention out of it. And I'm surprised there's not a TikTok challenge. Hey, send a balloon up and see if you can get the thing shot down. I looked up online. I sent you. I sent you the. Vid. Do you see the picture I sent you? You can buy one of those giant balloons on Amazon. I did see that. Yeah, that is a that is a big balloon. Um, <laughs> I just don't know how do you how do you launch that thing? I mean, that's that's like. Uh, what do they do? I mean, does it ha- how does it get up in the air? Helium. I don't think it would go that that high with helium, would it? Could you put that much helium? That helium would be, I mean, that's a lot of helium. That balloon is like three times the size of the lady that's that's leaning on the balloon. I'm, I'm telling you, it, once it gets up there and gets caught up in the winds, I remember one time for New Year's Eve, we did these, we bought these Japanese or Chinese lanterns. You fill up, you put mm-hmm. fire in the bottom of them. Sure. You've done those things. Yeah, yeah. We bought like 10 of them and we tied little notes like wishes for the new year. And uh, one of them went up and then caught on fire and came down and landed <laughs> in somebody's backyard. Oh, no. It's like, I hope your New Year's resolution is <laughs> to burn down somebody's house. That's right. The bushes are on fire. They go out and get your little note. Have a prosperous 2012. Yes. <laughs> Blessings. Our New Year's I'd like to meet a like to meet a fireman this year. All right. righty. <clears throat> Not that we're encouraging anybody to do that, but put the name of a radio show on it. And, you know how the balloon gets shot down. We'll we'll give you a history of rock calendar. Or bite me cookies. When we were kids. Or bite. No, they don't want to be involved in that type of thing, Sherry. Okay. Oh, All right. All the cookies. All right, Teeny. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to yell at her. Jeez.